Happy Monday! This is Cordelia, and this is the We Heal Together podcast. Super excited for y'all to hear today's episode. I'm talking with Amanda White, all about her new book, which is called Not Drinking Tonight. And we are discussing sobriety, her new book, and all the things. If you're not familiar with Amanda, she's amazing. She has a really popular Instagram called Therapy for Women. And I frequently share stuff from her Instagram. You know, I I love her work. And so it really is an honor to have the opportunity to chat with her and to do this episode. I want to give you a little bio about Amanda again for those of you all who don't know her. She is a licensed counselor, so she's a licensed therapist. She's also an author and she's the founder and director of Therapy for Women Center, which is a therapy practice based out of Philadelphia. And it has therapists all across the country. She has recovered from trauma herself as well as substance abuse and an eating disorder. So she not only is super smart and has all those important credentials, but she also has lived through a lot of these topics. And I think that makes her so much more relatable and gives her entirely different side of insight and knowledge. If you want to know more about Amanda, I have put all of her information in the show notes. I've put her Instagram, which is again, Therapy for Women. I've linked her website, the Therapy for Women Center website, and I've linked her book. So her book, it's coming out on January 4th, 2022. So it's coming out really soon. It's called Not Drinking Tonight, A Guide to Creating a Sober Life You Love. I've read it and I'm so lucky that I got to read it early and it's amazing. I'm not getting any compensation like Amanda isn't paying me to tell you this. I genuinely liked the book and if you are financially able, I definitely would encourage you to buy her book. You don't have to buy it from the link and that I put down there. You can buy it from wherever. Just Google Amanda White, Not Drinking Tonight book and buy it from wherever or go to your local bookshop. That's probably the best route going to your bookshop and ordering it from there. But anything, if you are able, it would be amazing to support her because she's doing so much great work and free work in the world, especially with her Instagram. So without further ado, (laughs) I will get right into this episode after a few words from our sponsor. Again, I am Cordelia. If you're new to the podcast, always check the show notes for things like citations and things like that. Uh, You can follow me on Instagram for in-between podcast episodes. Similar content is posted on there. My Instagram account is at Codependent Recovery. If you want to know more about me, my Instagram, or any of that information, that's in the show notes as well. So after a few words from our sponsor, we'll go ahead and get started. Let's get healing, y'all. 
Today's episode is brought to you by two different sponsors. They are both doggy companies, so you know that I love them. (laughs) I will, for full disclosure and transparency, as I always want to disclose that kind of stuff to you, I will earn a commission if you end up clicking through the links for either of these sponsors and making a purchase. With that being said, I prior to getting in Instagram and getting any kind of partnership with these sponsors as well as getting my podcast with my own money I I bought these products on my own out of my pocket and I can honestly say that I like these products a lot I I stand behind these products and that's the only reason that I'm comfortable partnering with them so first sponsor is iron doggy if you follow me on instagram that's who i I always show like the leash in my instagram that i use on my two dogs so i love their hands-free leashes you can use them for walking or running and they're awesome for taking your dogs around even if you just have one dog they have that option but they have awesome options for two dogs as well i have linked in the show notes, the leashes that I use for my dogs, as well as provided a general link. And if you use the code HEAL10, you get an additional 10% off. The other sponsor for today's episode is Embark. Again, this is another company that I paid for out of pocket, did the dog DNA testing kits on my dogs. And I thought it was such a cool process and I was really excited for this opportunity now to partner with them. So the results came back. It took about, mine only took about two weeks, but they general, generally come back in two to four weeks. The, they test over 350 breeds of dogs. They're the most accurate dog DNA test on the market, and they're the only canine DNA relative finder. They analyze over 200,000 genetic markers, And I've put the links for those kits in the show notes. If you use the spring 50 code on the link that I provided to the breed and health kit, that will get you $50 off. I loved finding out my dog's breeds. I thought that was so cool. So I hope you enjoy those and check out the show notes. As mentioned, I will get a commission if you click on the affiliate link and purchase through there. Yay, well, I'm so excited for you to be here. Welcome, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, and obviously we're going to get into your new book, but congratulations. I'm so excited. It was amazing. I loved it. I thought it was an amazing book, and I can't wait to dig into it further with you in the episode. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Thank you so much. I'm excited to talk about it. So Amanda, before we get into that, I just wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit just about your background, just in case we have listeners out there 
who aren't as obsessed with your Instagram as I am, <laughs> which FYI, everyone is therapy for women. Um, so if you don't mind, could you just tell everybody a little bit about what you do day to day besides write the amazing book that we're going to talk about or wrote the amazing yeah, book? <laughs> yeah. So I'm Amanda. I'm a licensed therapist and um, I have been a therapist for nine-ish, eight years now. Um, and I have a private practice in Philadelphia um, called Therapy for Women Center. And we also have therapists virtually um, across the country. So that takes up a lot of my time. I see clients. I'm also sober, um, which really led me to the creation of this book um, because I found that a lot of the I love a lot of the books out there, but um, what I really felt like what was missing was kind of an approachable, relatable way to talk about exploring your relationship with alcohol um, and sobriety. In my clinical work, before I opened my private practice, I uh, specialized in addiction and eating disorders. I worked at an addiction rehab center for uh, three years before starting my practice and um, in my clinical work now, I really specialize with clients and the overlap between um, eating disorders and substance use. I love that's such a specialized area too. So I love that you broke that, broke that all down. And what is the title of your book for anybody out there who wants to get a copy? It's called Not Drinking Tonight, um, a guide to creating a sober life you love. And it seems like definitely from hearing you talk about just your professional experience and then the book, of course, and your life, you know, speaking on how you're sober now, yeah. that you are really interested in that lens of looking at, you know, substance abuse and addiction. So what what led you to be so interested in that and so many different, you know, parts of your life? Yeah. I mean, I think there is like a stereotype, which is true that like a lot of therapists kind of go into becoming therapy to like help themselves. <laughs> and that was definitely the case for me. Um, I saw a lot of therapists growing up and I didn't connect with a lot of them. A lot of them, I mean, I was young when I was in there, when I started therapy. So a lot of them were older than me. A lot of them weren't very approachable. And I lied to just like all of them really until, <laughs> until after college, I found a therapist who was amazing and she was honest and she shared that she was in recovery and, um, that gave me the space to be honest. So I also am in recovery from an eating disorder, which is why I'm really passionate about that overlap. And I specialize in that. Um, but yeah, so I kind of just decided that if I could get into recovery, if I could figure my life out, so to speak, I wanted to be able to do that for other people. And it just kind of naturally came from there. I studied addiction counseling um, in grad school. I stopped drinking in grad school because I realized that I had a problem with alcohol. And um, I've kind of been all over the place in terms of you study kind of addiction there, you know, when you study addiction specifically, you really are studying like the most severe end of things. And 
then I went on to do, um, you know, to work at a rehab after grad school. And then when I started my own private practice, I saw different individuals. I saw almost all women and they really all were struggling maybe with a bit of alcohol use, um, but they didn't identify as an alcoholic. And I really just felt like it's so crazy how we can talk about almost anything else in therapy without right. it being a stigmatizing conversation. But the second someone shares that they want to talk about their relationship with alcohol, they're terrified that you're going to diagnose them and call them <laughs> an alcoholic. That's so, I am so interested in like everything you just said. I think first, I think it's so amazing and for you to kind of share your personal experience a little bit and I have so much respect for you, you know, putting that information out there and sharing that with the world. I definitely, I mean, even hearing you talk about finding that one therapist that you connected with, it seems like that is kind of a key thing that makes somebody relatable is when they're just real, like, I've been through that too. And I think, you know, that probably makes you all the better of a therapist. We can learn all these things. And obviously I am really into like the research and science parts of stuff. And of course you went through all that and you've got like that part of your brain, but I do think it's really special and amazing that you also have like that other part where it's like, okay, I actually really can identify with what this client is saying because I went through that. (laughs) Yeah. You know, and I think that's the big difference between, I mean, it's wonderful when doctors are relatable or any professionals are like relatable and you don't feel intimidated by them, but like therapy to me, especially like literally in studies and research, the most important quality that determines whether your therapy will be successful or not is the relationship that you develop with your therapist, because it impacts what your therapist will tell you, whether you will (laughs) listen to, you know, like a good therapist, like they can tell you things that if someone else told you, (laughs) you would tell them to like go to hell, you know? Right. So it really matters that you feel connected to them and you don't have them on a pedestal that they're perfect because it's going to be hard to be honest. That's so true. And I definitely want to unpack more when you mentioned that phrase that you've just come across with, you know, being a therapist yourself where people really struggle with opening up about their relationship with alcohol and just the phrase alcoholic that is touched on in your book as well. And I really was, I was very intrigued by that. And it made me think just in my own personal life, I've definitely that's totally true of, yeah. I think any time that you raise like an alcohol issue, even coming, kind of coming from like a loving way, people do get like very defensive and it's like people will do anything to not have that label of, you know, alcoholic. So I yeah. would love to kind of hear more from you and whatever you're comfortable sharing. Yeah. I don't know if this is something um, you know, you struggled with originally as well. Like, what is it about that word? What is it about alcoholic in general? Absolutely. So it was something I definitely struggled with at first. Um, I, my book isn't a memoir, but I do have like, um, an introduction where I share a bit of my story 
And I really think in our society, we have an idea that an alcoholic is someone who's older, who's gotten DUIs, who lost their job, you know, who's maybe homeless, who drinks every day and like is addicted physically to alcohol. And especially young people are never really considered to be alcoholics because alcohol drinking is so normalized in our culture. I mean, when I told my parents, when I told anyone except my therapist that I was thinking about not drinking, they were like, why, what? That makes no (laughs) sense. Why would you, you're not that, you know, because they had in their head what that was an alcoholic. Um, And I think it's just, you know, it really stems too from, I mean, the word alcoholic is just really loaded because it's not even like alcoholism isn't even, um, a, like a, a diagnosis anymore. Right. Look at it, you know, in terms of medical diagnoses and stuff like that, we have substance use as a spectrum now, which has done wonders for reducing stigma, but because of Alcoholics Anonymous, which I'm not against, I was in AA for a long time, but because of just the name Alcoholics Anonymous, And the fact that to be part of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's pretty customary that you identify as an alcoholic. Um, There is just a lot of ideas around, if you want to stop drinking, you have to call yourself an alcoholic. And if you don't, you're in denial and there's something wrong with you. And to me, it's just so crazy as a therapist because if I have a client who's struggling, for example, with food, right? Like they can admit that they may be engaging in disordered eating, or they might be eating too much or over-exercising or whatever. Right. And they're not afraid that I'm going to diagnose them with an eating (laughs) disorder. And that's the problem. It's because it's so, if you're an alcoholic, you drink too much and you should never drink. Or if you're a normal person, you should drink and you should be fine. There is no (laughs) place to explore. It's so binary. It's so black and white that um, people don't have the freedom to explore their relationship with alcohol, which I think a lot of us, whether you decide to stop drinking or not, you know, I'm not saying you have to, I think a lot, a lot of us could benefit (laughs) from just exploring it. (laughs) No, totally. I'm just kind of curious, you know, this is just a random question, but I'm curious if, you found even like in your own personal life or with clients, do people struggle more to go to like, you know, random group therapy, random peer support groups versus Alcoholics Anonymous? Or like, is there, is that kind of like, I don't know, do people kind of avoid that more because of the stigma? I think definitely. I think, I think group therapy is also hard because at least if you go to like a bigger group, like AA, you can kind of sit in the back and like not interact with people. <laughs> right. But many people are afraid to go where it's different. Cause if you're going to group therapy, it's typically like 10 or 12 people and like a therapist right. leading it and they're going to call you out. <laughs> so it's, it's a bit different, but I a hundred percent believe and know that a lot of clients just before they even think about going to AA. And that was one thing that really pushed me in my work because, um, when I was in treatment, I was taught 12 steps is the only thing the, you know, it's it, no one can get sober without it. If people don't go, they're in denial. Um, 
And then I, st- I was, you know, then in my practice, I saw people didn't want to go because they were afraid of the stigma. People went and they felt like they were shamed if they didn't use that label. And um, I saw it negatively impact people. And there aren't honestly a ton of other options out there. Unfortunately, there's a lot more online, especially the pandemic has really, I think like revolutionized some of the ability to go to different types of meetings and groups. Um, but it's hard. Yeah, absolutely. So what would you say to somebody that is listening right now and they're like, okay, yeah, that's me. I don't, I think I have kind of an issue going on, but definitely don't want to call myself an alcoholic. What would your recommendation be to that person? Yeah, I mean, my recommendation would be that you don't have to label yourself anything. And I kind of believe that in all areas. Like if the label, for some people, the label's really empowering. It it like grounds them. It makes them feel like they belong someplace because they are among other people who call themselves alcoholics. For some people, it like can really hurt them and negatively impact them. Um, so I would recommend kind of starting with, um, I mean, I would recommend reading my book <laughs> because <laughs> really, my book really walks through how to explore this. I go into tools and give a lot of support of kind of how to make it through the first 30, 60, 90 days. Um, but I also just am a really big believer that so many people when they're trying to, and this is the other thing about an alcoholic, the word is a lot of people feel like, well, I don't know. I can't commit to never drinking again. Like it's a huge thing. And before they even don't drink for a day or a week, they feel like they have to commit to never drinking again for the rest of their life. And that's just way too big of a decision to have to make. And it's such a huge barrier to entry. I mean, no, nothing else do we make people say we will never do something again. Um, so I would really like taking it slow, taking it like week by week, day by day, um, and seeing, seeing how you feel. Um, I recommend starting with at least 30 days because sometimes, um, those first two weeks, you're just kind of like getting your feet wet. And sometimes, you feel worse before you feel better if you've been using it to cope. Um, But yeah, I would recommend trying 30 days and seeing how you feel. I love that. And one thing you said definitely stuck out to me. And I remember you talking about it in the book as well, how we as a society view alcoholics, that word in our minds, we're automatically picturing like, you know, this one person that we're seeing and that concept I feel like it's synonymous with alcoholic in society is rock bottom and in the book you I I just wrote down like the a a portion that I really liked but you wrote it was it was just another bad night the only difference this day was that when my inner voice started talking about how I could not continue on this way I listened and that sentence really stood out to me and you're you were talking about when you decided you know, to go to get sober, that it really wasn't like the worst drunk. It wasn't like the worst point of your life. And I thought that was such an interesting insight. And I'm sure so many people can relate to that because like I said, I mean, in the movie, like, I just feel like that is that whole trope of losing your house, like getting rock bottom. It's like people almost avoid 
the label and getting help because they're like, why I'm not at rock bottom. I'm still functioning. I still have a job or I'm, I'm still doing all these things. So what has your experience been like uh, of the role that concept plays rock bottom with all of this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think so much is played in, I think it's correct to say that it's a trope because I do think there is just this idea that in order to stop drinking, you have to hit your rock bottom. That's like so often talked about. And again, it leaves out a huge portion of people, number one, and like the most, like the biggest portion of people too. Like, I think that's important to say too, is like the people who like fit the criteria for like severe substance use disorder. It's a really small small (laughs) part of the population. Um, But yeah, and I think it also can encourage people to feel like, well, I haven't hit my rock bottom yet, so I may as well keep drinking. It feeds into this narrative that's like, well, it's not bad enough, so I may as well just keep, you know, self-sabotaging. And we put all of this power on the environment. We put this power, like the, the bottom is the power. Like if I, you know, end up losing everything, the moment has the power to change me rather than recognizing that you actually have the power to change you. And you don't have to wait. You don't have to say so often too, it can deter people of people being like, and I say this, you know, that sentence is from the introduction where I'm talking about my own story. Like I had had worse nights than the last night I had. And if I had believed, well, this isn't the worst, like I've done worse before I would have continued drinking and doing things to hit an even lower, worse place because I would have thought that I had to get there. And it's encouraging people that they can't stop when they want or when they feel that, you know, urge. Um, And I'm a really big believer. You sometimes don't have a huge, like change happens in really small moments. Like often where it's glamorized in movies and media that it's like the sky opens up and you have a <laughs> spiritual experience and you're like, I can't go on. <laughs> right. And we look for that. And then it also takes some responsibility off of us because we just wait. Right. Rather than being like, I can just decide that I'm not going to do this anymore. Like it's not as dramatic. It's not as like epic. It's not as great of a story, but you're saving time in your life of not being as miserable. Absolutely. I think, you know, along those same lines, what are some small changes that somebody could take that really wanted to start trying to change their relationship with alcohol? Yeah. Yeah. Um, So I think one easy thing, maybe not easy, but one thing that you can start with that's small is one thing that's so cool that's happening in the world is there's so many amazing like mocktails and alcohol-free beverages that exist right now. Um, The market is just exploding and super innovative. So if you are in the habit of drinking something like at the end of the night, start trying to replace some of your alcoholic beverages with non-alcoholic beverages. Sometimes we just want, we can get very, um, we can fall in love with the ritual of drinking. Like people like to make fancy cocktails or maybe they're used to like having a cold beer at the end of the day. And it's not even just about the beer. It's like 
you actually get, it becomes a habit, right? And you right. kind of crave the habit. So drinking a non-alcoholic beer, swapping out some things like that can be really helpful in helping you evaluate whether it's actually the alcohol that you want, or maybe you just want that break or that ritual or that pause. Yeah, I love that. And what programs, I mean, I know you mentioned AA, but what programs would you encourage people to look into? Or if someone's looking for a therapist, obviously, you know, hint, hint, they should definitely check out Therapy for Women Center. But is there any type of therapist that you would advise that, you know, when people are searching and looking for a therapist that they kind of gear their search towards? Yeah, I mean, I think therapists that are experienced in substance use is really, really helpful um, for sure. Um, beyond therapists specifically, and I think like you going back to what we said earlier, like you finding a therapist that like you like, that you connect yeah. to, like the most important thing is that you um, can be honest with your therapist. And if for whatever reason, even if your therapist is amazing and like the best therapist ever, if you feel like you can't be honest with them, you should find a new therapist. Um, other like programs and things that exist that I love. Um, there's a really great app called reframe that, um, like walks you through how to examine your relationship with alcohol has tools, um, there are a lot of sober communities on Instagram. Um, specifically, there's one that I love that's called the Luckiest Club. And it is like an alternative to AA and they have meetings um, that are all virtual. Um, the Tempest is another really great program that does virtual meetings community. Um, but yeah, just start Googling like sober in Instagram. <laughs> I love that. And I'll definitely link the ones you list you yeah. went through too. Is it possible for people to hang out with, you know, I hate to call it like party friends. Like, is it possible yeah. to kind of still hang out with those same friends? And let's just say it's those friends that you've really never done anything else besides like drink with and yeah. grab a drink with like it doesn't necessarily have to be like raging with them it's like even just all you ever did was oh let's go get drinks let's go get drinks together yeah I think it depends on the person and the relationship some relationships can still work with that um and a big part of I think like changing your relationship with alcohol is kind of discovering what you actually like what is actually interesting to you because I think alcohol can make a lot of things tolerable or interesting to us. And when we stop, we might realize that we like, don't like to go to bars or we don't like to go to sports <laughs> games, or, you know, maybe we don't like to be, we don't like to go dancing, whatever it is. So I think it depends if you can find another connection, another hobby to do with that friend or another thing to do. And I think it also really depends on whether that person is supportive and understanding and respects your boundaries, or there's someone who's constantly trying to get you to drink yeah, and pressuring you point. in those situations. I would say, try to set boundaries a couple of times, but that relationship might not work. Absolutely. If I'm hearing you right, I mean, it sounds like you're saying if the only thing you have in common is drinking, it's probably 
not gonna work out <laughs> which and the interesting thing though is like that can be scary to hear yeah but, like often you don't want to hang out <laughs> absolutely <laughs> like, yeah like this is boring like especially when you meet people that you connect with and you learn how to have you learn how much deeper a relationship is that doesn't rely on alcohol um it's like it's like the difference between eating like I don't know instant noodles and like real ramen I was like, <laughs> like why would I go back to this absolutely like if it's or you have you know like there's nothing wrong with it but it's just doesn't taste as good <laughs> no that's such a that's a great comparison <laughs> I think a big thing Gary, for some people is telling other people because like you said it's so normalized especially younger people like in their 20s 30s even 40s I think people get scared to tell others like I'm not drinking or yeah like your book I'm not drinking tonight yeah so how do you tell people or what would you recommend to people kind of just starting out and you know just kind of getting their footing in sobriety what helped you or what's some good recommendations for people struggling with how to communicate that to other people yeah um I mean I think you can start out without especially if you don't know whether you're going to stop drinking for a long time or not you can start out I mean it's why like the name of my book is that you can start out yeah. by saying, I'm not drinking tonight <laughs> um often when you say you're not drinking or not drinking tonight the first unfortunate annoying question is why right and <laughs> the best <laughs> advice I can give is don't make up an excuse so often it feels good and easy to make up an excuse and I get it but it is amazing the links that people will go to to solve your problem like if you <laughs> say you're driving people will offer to pay for your uber if you're saying that you're on medication people will ask what medication is and they will look up the side effects on their phone <laughs> and try to convince you that you can drink on it People will offer to help you move if you say you're getting up and moving in the morning. So right. it's much easier to just say something kind of generic and just say something that they can't fix. Like, right. I'm just taking a break right now, or I don't feel great, or um, I'm not in the mood tonight, or right. you know, I'm focusing on my health, something generic that isn't a obvious excuse. And yeah. then I think if you keep going with that and you keep deciding you're not going to drink, um, then it might be helpful to tell people in your life that you're not drinking. And um, right. then it'll save you kind of the conversation every single time, because that can be really draining if you're having the same conversation. So if you know you're going to, these are your people, your close friends, family, whoever, it might be helpful to just tell them, yeah, like I'm not drinking right now. And like, please don't ask me Yeah, if you know, if I'm going to drink. I love that. Along the same lines, what would you recommend to people who are dating? Because that seems to be such, especially people in their 20s, 30s, like that seems to be such a go-to thing where people are just like, let's grab drinks. And what are some alternatives like that you could suggest or, you know, if somebody, if you just seem to like just be getting asked out for drinks all the time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think you're completely right. I mean, it was something I struggled with when I was sober. Um, and it's something lots of people do because I think 
most of us never learned not only how to socialize without alcohol, but definitely how to meet new people or date or have sex or anything like that without Absolutely. alcohol. So it feels really intense, I think, if we can't even imagine making friends or in a social situation, um, it feels really scary to date. So, I mean, the first thing I would practice if you're new, at least socializing with friends without drinking first, because I think that can make the barrier to dating a little easier. But in reference to, um, yeah, I think people often say that they want to go out for a drink just because they don't want to commit to dinner. So I think you can offer an alternative that's the same vibe, but not at a bar. You could say, let's go out for coffee. Let's go out for ice cream. Let's go out. Um, let's go for a walk. Something that's like a short amount of time that kind of serves right. the same purpose. Um, and beyond that too, I think another like good thing is a lot of times people with dating online, they can feel like dating is really exhausting and tiresome <laughs> and boring, uh, doing the same thing. And another just general piece of advice I have is like, try to do dates that you would like to do without that person. So then it doesn't feel like you have to keep up your huge social life and go on all of these dates. Like then if the date doesn't work out, you're like, well, I got to go to this, you know, museum or I got to go skating or whatever it is. So trying to also do things that like you actually are interested in doing can also really help when you don't have that, you know, alcohol kind of buffer to make things more interesting. Absolutely. I think, I think what you've said is so true, especially how and people and listeners in America, I'm sure will relate, especially those that attended college for any period of time. Drinking is just so normalized. And it really it. I, I think it takes up so much of like time and money. And a big part of sobriety, in my opinion, is really like finding yourself again and finding hobbies and kind of like reconnecting with yourself. So what do you suggest people when they get sober or, you know, they stop drinking for whatever period of time? What can people do to kind of find those hobbies and those things that they like to do? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing that can be really helpful, and I talk about this in my book, is thinking about what you like to do before you drank, you know, <laughs> reconnecting kind of with like thinking about who you were as a kid. What did you like to do? Were you more into art? Were you more into sports? Were you into being outside? Were you always with animals? Like trying to kind of rediscover that. And I would recommend like making a list of potential things that seem like something you would be interested in and literally trying them out. You know, sometimes we don't know until we, we try and we see what it's like without drinking and um, experiment and then kind of see what works from there. And often if you also get more into hobbies and finding things that you care about, it's easier to also meet people with common interests. And I think having a community is so important. Um, you don't have to just have a like sober community necessarily, but having people in your life who you have deeper relationships with, who um, you don't have to drink with is really, really important. 
I love that. And I've loved just hearing all of your amazing insights here today. Your book comes out January 4th. Is that right? Yeah. Yay. I'm so pre-order right now. (laughs) Yes. And I'm linking that in the show notes. I loved it. Definitely. I hope all the listeners pre-order it. It's amazing. And I'm just so excited for you. I'm so excited that things are going so well. Of course, I love your Instagram. I feel like I always get little tidbits from there, too. (laughs) And so I really appreciate everything. And thank you so much for chatting with us and giving us some tips on, you know, getting more of a sober life. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm right now, if anyone pre-orders it, um, I'm doing a series of holiday workshops before the book comes out. So if you pre-order it, um, you can get access to, I'm doing two more free holiday workshops where, um, you can ask me your questions directly. That's amazing. And so helpful. Cause I know, especially I feel like people going back to family and, you know, that would just be super helpful for folks with holiday family and sobriety. That's just a tough way. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for having me. 